I want to invite Patty to come on up. Uh, Patty's going to read for us out of James chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 26. And as we always do here at Central, would you please, if you're able, stand uh, with me out of respect for God's word as Patty reads for us out of James chapter 2 this morning. Patty? Good morning. What good is it, my brothers, <clears throat> if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, that person <clears throat> is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from work is dead. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Patty. Let's pray one more time. Father, um, we hear your word and we're so grateful for it. And Lord, is even as we read your word, I, I'm, I cannot help but be reminded of how we have come out of the book of Revelation and we have heard of all of uh, the callings for your people to overcome. And we came to the book of James um, being reminded that this is how we are to walk. This is how we are to be. And as you work in us and you bring to completion the things that you've begun in your people, like it's so that we would be faithful and strive even as the end days approach. And Lord, even, even just the past couple days, we're reminded how close that might be as we watch what's happening in Israel, as we watch what's taking place um, there, Lord, it, it stirs in our minds all of the potential realities that you may be coming soon. And Lord, we cry out, come soon, Maranatha, like would you return quickly? But Father, in the meantime, we, we pray, first of all, Lord, we pray for those people in Israel that are suffering, that are, that are struggling. Lord, we pray that your people who do not know you would have their eyes open to see their Messiah, their Christ, their King. Like in these moments right now, that Lord, you would be doing that work. And, and Lord, I pray that this would also stir us as your people to be mindful of the shortness of the time that we have been given and the importance for us to with zeal strive towards what you've given to us and run the race that's before us. And so Lord, we pray for that. And we pray, Lord, that these words would stir us up. Lord, and I pray that you're, you would speak through me um, by your spirit, uh, Father, that you would then take those things and plant them into our hearts and then grow them up into full maturity. And so, Lord, we, we pray these things, we ask these things, all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So, three men walk into a church. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? 
but I didn't say bar, but no, I do. Three men walk into a church. And yes, if you've been around Central, I'm bringing back the stick figures. There's Herbert on the end, like the green one. You'll see why, right? So here we go. Three guys walk into the church. And the first one comes into the church and says, listen, I, I have faith. And yes, that's my kindergarten-like handwriting. But I, I, I have faith. I, I, I believe in Jesus, and I, I have faith in Jesus, and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I believe that he's the Son of God, and I, I believe that he rose from the dead. You know, works aren't that important. Like, that doesn't really matter that much. Like, and what I do with my life isn't really that valuable. It really doesn't make any difference because the most important thing is that I have grace, and I have mercy because I have believed now, the second guy says, I have works, though. Like, look, I, I've got works. Like, look at all the different things. Like, I see your faith, and I hear the things that you say, but, but I've got works, more works than you do. Like, I, I'm nicer than you. I tip better at the restaurant than you. I treat my wife better than you treat your wife. I give more to foundations that help kids get adopted. Uh, I, I do more. And I don't believe in Jesus at all. He, he's a nice guy. But, but I do all this, and I don't have any faith. And, and so, man, like, look, look at me. Like, I'm, I'm good. I, I've got works. I don't need to be religious. I don't need to believe in God. And if there is a God, then I, I can make myself right with him by how good I am like all the good things that I've done. But then the third guy comes in and he looks at the other two guys and he says, well, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. So here's a question for us this morning. Which one of these three guys or gals is you? Which one is you? Now, the easiest thing for us to do is be like, well, I'm obviously Herbert. I'm, I'm obviously the green one, right? Like, like clearly, because I know he's the good guy in this story, right? Like, but here's the thing that this text is going to really press us to consider. Is that really the case for us in this space? Is this really true? And we need to be open to go like, okay, God, like, I really want to know which of these three people I am. Like, am I truly the one who says, man, I've got faith and works. Like, I'm truly saved in you. Because here's the thing. James tells us that these other aren't safe. In verse 16, he says this about the first guy. Faith, apart from works, is dead. Like, meaning this, guy number one, like he thinks he's alive in Christ. He thinks he's fine. He thinks, he knows all the right stuff. He can tell you the Bible stories. And yet, he, what James is telling us is like, no, like his faith is dead. Guy number two, he's boasting about his works. And, and listen, they seem to be good works. On the front of things, and in, 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 as we look at different people, like it feels like this is a good argument. Like you're not an evil guy. You're not a bad person. You do good things. And yet, the scripture tells us very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. What is not a result of works? Being saved is not a result of works. 
Well, that's what he's talking about. He's thinking very clear, like, listen, like it's not a result of works. Like you can't become saved by working yourself into that space. And so guy number two is not okay either. So guy number one's not okay, and guy number two's not okay. But guy number three, doesn't he seem like a walking contradiction? Like, doesn't it seem that way? Like his statement leads us to believe that saving faith or justification, and for, that, for those of you who aren't familiar within the church, justification just means being made right with God. Like you weren't right with God and you need to be made right with God. And that is the act of justification. And so what we're seeing here is that faith or justification, being made right, requires both faith and works. Like what do we do with this as Christians? Like, how does this actually cause us to live our lives? How can we be assured of our salvation? What's our lives supposed to look like regarding works and faith? Are we supposed to be legalistic or are we not supposed to be legalistic? Like, these are really big issues of the church. And I know some of you, some of you grew up in churches or you know of churches and maybe even some of you have been hesitant to be a part of churches because you knew and you remember and you saw that the way they walked out their faith was, listen, you, you, know, you, you, you need to have belief in Jesus, but man, you also better be perfect morally. Like churches that might tell you that if you hang out with your friends and say cuss and then you go home and you get in a car accident without confessing that, like you're going straight to hell. Like we can kind of giggle about that or kind of be like, oh, what? there's churches that teach that. There's people that grew up under that. And that's where we get the term legalist, like, right? Like it feels like this list of rules and it feels like, man, like this is hard reality. But then there's other people that are grown up in churches or you know of churches where they say, man, it's all grace. Grace is good. Like grace is free. God has given us grace. All you need to do is believe. What you do doesn't make any difference. Like, man, if you want to live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, like it's fine because grace is sufficient. And so really at the end of the day, we would tell you like it's best if you start following the way Jesus calls you to, but it's not really necessary because you have faith. So this is a really important issue. We need to understand what is it that James is actually talking about and what is the relationship between faith and works? How do they work out? How are we supposed to see those things? And James is seeking to bring clarity to us in regards to these matters. Now, here's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about faith and then we're going to talk about works, and then we're going to bring them together. So let's start by looking at the first truth or the first clarity that is given to us regarding faith. And here it is. Faith is not belief. Faith is not belief. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Like, what do I mean? Because you need to understand what dictionary I'm working from so that you understand what that word means. But guy number one says he has faith, but he has no works. It's likely if you were to ask guy number one, are you saved? His response would be like, yes. And if you were to say, why are you saved? He would start to tell you this. Well, I believe in Adam and Eve. I believe that God flooded 
the world. I believe Noah and the ark happened. I believe David was there. I believe that Jesus was a real man. I believe that Jesus was the son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I, I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he is there. And a lot of people, there being heaven, and a lot of people would say, well, that, that is faith. That's that's actually affirming what Ephesians chapter 2 that we just read a minute ago is actually saying. That's faith. Therefore, he is saved. But consider how James counters this person's argument. He asks a question. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says that he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? Well, the scary and clear assumed answer is no, it can't. Leading us to see that there is a kind of belief that doesn't save. There is a kind of faith that doesn't save. We get more insight as James continues to go on. So James says in verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So so what do we see here? Well, here, to help us make the understanding and to make the connection, we need to see what's actually being said in this text. Now, the word that's used for believe here in James chapter 2, verse 19, is the Greek word pistis. And that's, I don't tend to go into the Greek. I don't try, I, I mean, I do in my study, but I don't tend to bring it here. But I think it's really valuable here because pistis is used throughout the New Testament to talk about faith and belief. And so when we talked in Ephesians chapter 2 about faith, that's the word pistis. Right? And when we talk about in, in Romans where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that also is pistis. So here's the thing that's interesting. Even the demons pistis and shudder. Right? That's, what, that's what verse 19 is saying. You pistis that God is one, well, you do well. Even the demons pistis and they shudder. So even the demons have a type of belief, but it clearly isn't a saving belief. Here's the problem and what James is getting at. Saving pistis is not just knowledge. It's not just being able to say that I affirm certain facts that are in the Bible, certain doctrines that are present in God's word. Demons pistis that God is one. Demons pistis that Jesus was God. They pistis that they're fallen. They, they pistis that he rose from the dead. They even pistis that he came to die for sinners, but they're not saved. They're, they're demons. Now, do you have to believe those things to be true, to have true faith? Absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. But the faith, the kind of faith that makes us right before God, not only does it not stop there, but it has a substance that's deeper than just something you believe in your head. And here comes the second piece of clarity that James brings us to. We are saved by faith alone, but faith cannot, will not, and never does remain alone. Faith is an active work in our life. It's not something that we come to know. It's not just something that you learn. 
It's something that you have to walk in. Kevin Van Huser, Kevin Van Huser, sorry, puts it this way. And I would encourage you to take a picture of this quote, write it down. I think it's such a good quote, but he says, faith is the trusting response to the proclamation of the gospel. It is the living in and living out of trust in God's word. I, I love that definition. It is the living in and living out of trust in God's word. And I don't just mean words on a page on this Bible. It's everything that has been uttered out of the mouth of God from the beginning of creation. It's Jesus himself. And it is every word he's given to us in this book. It's living in and trusting out and living out of trust in this. This is the essence of what James is talking about in this book. And our road to completion in Jesus is one that walks a living and active faith. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59, Jesus himself makes this point in a variety of different ways. And I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I am going to start with verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Now, I hope you caught or do catch our word again. Who's Jesus talking to? Jesus said to the Jews who had pistis in him. They had faith in him. They had put their trust in him. And Jesus now goes on to qualify and help them understand what that faith needs to look like. And he doesn't say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to memorize all the stories of the Bible. And you need to say, I believe these things to be fact. He says these things. He says, if you abide in my word, in verse 31. He says, if you hear the words of God, in verse 47. And he says, if you keep my words, then you won't see death. So you can see the connection in Jesus' mind that faith is naturally connected to abiding, hearing, and keeping his words. Faith and works. There they are. Jesus is talking about faith and works. Jesus agrees with James that faith without works is dead. Not only is it dead, but James goes on to say that it's also useless. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's useless. The Greek word there is argos. It means inactive. It's inoperative. I, I love this one. It's unemployed. It's unemployed. Like I don't employ it on a day-to-day -day basis. Like it it's remains unemployed. Like sitting at home on the couch eating chips. Right? Maybe that's what you do when you're unemployed. I don't know. But no, it's like that's what this word means. It says, he says your faith apart from works, like it's at home sitting on the couch eating chips, like it's useless. It's unemployed. Like you say you have it, but it doesn't mean anything. So again, the question comes to us, is the faith that you claim, is the faith that we claim being employed day by day and work by work? Hey, we got to look at that on ourselves, don't we? Like, is our faith being employed the way we treat our wives and our husbands, the way we treat our kids, the way we treat our coworkers, the way we engage money and the people around us and the world around us? Like, is our faith being employed? So that's faith. Now we need to talk about works. 
What are they specifically? Because James makes it clear that just like there is faith that is alive and saves and faith that is dead and cannot save, there are also clearly works that are dead and cannot save and works that can make us right. So jump into this. First, James gives us, James gives us an example of Abraham, a righteous man who was justified or made right before God by his works. These are justifying works. Now, bear with me because I know for some of us, this can make us feel really uncomfortable because it feels like a direct contradiction to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9. But I didn't make these words up. They're right there in verse 21 where it says that he is justified by works. So we have to deal with that reality in this text. Like it's there. So what does it mean? What does it look like? So what are these, what are these works? Well, look at verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. So two things unique about works that justify. Faith is, first, the first one is this. Faith is active alongside of those works. Justifying works require faith alongside of the work. It's not independent of the work. It's not part of the work. It is built in, it is intertwined. Abraham, he'd waited for 25 years for a son. So God had promised Abraham a son. He'd waited for 25 years and then he has a son and then God comes to Abraham and says, who, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take up Isaac to this mountain and I need you to sacrifice him, which if that stresses you out, I understand God never intended to carry that out. Um, and there's a lot of theology behind that. But nonetheless, uh, we can get to that another time. But Abraham hears that. And you imagine what Abraham must have thought. Like, wait a minute. Like, I waited for 25 years for this kid. And now you don't want me to kill him, right? But what did Abraham do? If you know the story, Abraham gets his stuff. He gets Isaac. And he and his servants begin to walk towards the mountain. What is with him the whole time? Like his faith. Because the whole time as he's heading towards that mountain, as the temptation comes to be like, dude, if you kill your son, you're going to lose the promise of God. He's going, no, but I trust God. God is always faithful to his promises. And he promised me this kid. And so I'm going to keep being obedient. Yeah, but you're about to kill him. I, I know I'm about to kill him. But, but God has always been faithful. God has always been true. God has always been steadfast. And so Abraham's thinking this. And there's faith right there alongside of him, driving him. And so then he gets to the mountain. And while him and Isaac are walking up to the mountain with the sticks, and Isaac's now carrying that, and they're about to build the altar, there's faith right there next to him. Like, God is going to be faithful but it looks like you're not going to be faithful. But faith says he'll be faithful. God's going to keep his promises. And I imagine there as he, as he ties himself or he ties a Isaac to this, uh, this altar and he raises up his hand to bring the knife down, like even in that moment, there was faith right there alongside him. It had to be because Abraham continued to trust in God and his works were evidence of that faith. They were an activation of that faith. They were employing that faith. But it isn't that just faith is alongside of those works. Faith is also completed in those works. So again, the word here is perfected, 
accomplished. It's carried out. So Abraham raises the knife to kill Isaac and God stops him. And then God provides a ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac. Let me ask the question. Was the faith that had been alongside Abraham the entire time, was it proven to be well-placed or misplaced? Well-placed. Because God proved himself faithful. So does this increase Abraham's faith or decrease his faith? It increases it now. Because now Abraham says, listen, no matter what you tell me to do, you continually prove yourself faithful. His faith is deepened. His faith is completed in this work. It doesn't stay neutral. It doesn't say stay stationary. It moves closer to completion. God proved himself faithful to Abraham. And Paul tells us that anything, when we're talking about works, that anything that we do that is not done in faith is actually sin. Works not in faith are sin. Here's what he says in Romans. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, context here is Paul is writing to the church who's struggling with, do we eat meat? Do we not eat meat? And he's kind of talking about faith. Um, But in the end, what he says is, whatever doesn't proceed from faith is actually sin. So let's rephrase this a little Christian ways. If your philanthropy doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin. If your Bible reading doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin. If your drinking a glass of wine doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin. If your purchase doesn't proceed from faith, it's sin. Now listen, you read that, that feels awfully black and white, doesn't it? Does that make you a little uncomfortable to be like, ooh, I mean, that means I might have a lot more sin in my life than I thought I did. Or man, like, wait, this seems really harsh. But here, Paul and James mind, they understand the reality that there are dead works. There's dead works that that are not alive. They're dead works. If you remember a guy number two, he says, "I, I don't, I have works. Faith doesn't matter. Now, you think about someone like that, they might look like a Christian. They might look like they're caring for the poor. But if it's not proceeding from trust in Jesus and, and, his, and, and that person's faith is, is not there alongside of it, and it's not being completed in it, then it's a sinful act. So let's put it another way. Jesus talks about good trees and bad trees. Good trees only produce good fruit. Bad trees only produce bad fruit. So if you're guy number two and you have no faith, Bible tells us you're a bad tree. Meaning that everything that comes from you, it might look good on the outside. It might look delicious. It might look like fantastic fruit, but it's diseased. Like it's diseased, it's rotting. It's just not good fruit. And so even if you are a non-Christian person doing good things, quote unquote, what Scripture's telling us is like that work is dead. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you right from God. And in fact, it's bad fruit. And Scripture uses another term, which actually says that those deeds are actually filthy rags to God. Like they're dirty. 
they're gross. Like he, he doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Like those, those things are gross. So this diseased. And so these things, they are, they're dead works. Now, here, here's what I want to do. And I know this is going to feel a little bit strange, but I, I want to um, invite a couple of people up on stage. Now, I got a couple of volunteers. Um, Ethan's going to come up and, and Stephanie and Donnie. And, and I, I want us to get this. I want us to truly understand. And so I'm hoping that this kind of visual helps uh, give us some clarity as to what it is that Paul or James is actually talking about in, in this entire text. And so you guys come on ahead and come on out. Now, as they're coming up, you guys remember the environment that James talks about at the very beginning of this text. Remember, he's talking about a poor man who doesn't have any resources, right? And so he, he comes and he's poor and he needs food and he needs clothes. And so Ethan, here, come here. But this is my boy, Ethan, by the way. He's, this is the, the sorrow of being a pastor's son, right? He gets drug up on stage. So here's the, Ethan is gonna be our poor guy. And you just be like, oh man, this life is miserable. Like you're hungry and you don't have any clothes. Although you do, which we're glad. So here's the thing, Ethan is our poor man, right? And, and Donnie, Donnie's gonna be over here and you stand over here and you're, you're gonna be um, our are three guys for us, all right? So you're gonna be there. Now, Stephanie is going to be faith, all right? So I felt that was, that was good for Stephanie. So here's what I need. Stephanie, I need you to go stand over there. Like you're, don't, don't trip on the guitars and stuff, but um, go stand over there. And so Stephanie is, is Donnie's faith. Now, he, here's the thing. So Donnie claims to be a Christian. He says, nah, I'm a believer in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he's true. I believe all these different things. And he, he may even wake up in the morning and spend time in the word of the Lord. And he's there, but he goes out to his life. And you know, he's walking around, but his faith is unemployed. Like he's out there and he sees this guy who's poor and he's hungry and he has nothing. Now, here's the thing. Donnie has the ability to meet this kid's needs. I have a turkey and a banana. This is what I could pick up out of my kid's um, kitchen last night. Jade, if you're watching, I'll give it back, I promise. So it's a turkey and a banana, and Donnie has the ability to meet this poor man's needs, right? But, but, but Donnie, instead of trusting the Lord to provide his needs, he holds on to his resources and instead goes towards this needy person and says, man, let me just bless you. And he prays for him. Because he's not actually, that's awesome. Like he's blessing him, he's praying. But look, like he has the ability to meet his needs, but he's refusing that because he doesn't see that God is gonna be faithful to meet his needs. And so where's his faith? His faith is at home. His faith is still sitting at home. It's remaining unemployed. And in fact, if, if Stephanie was really the faith, it would actually be getting smaller and shrinking and dying. Like faith is dying. Like, this is dead. And, and so when Donnie does a religious thing and he's praying for this guy who has needs, like, what good is it? It doesn't do any good. Now, all right, reset. Come on over here. All right, now, Stephanie, you got to go even further away because now you're not even in the picture because now Donnie doesn't have faith at all. Donnie's guy number two. And so Donnie's got the resources and Donnie sees this kid and he's like, man, I, I, I'm going to meet his need. And so he walks up and he gives him the, the turkey and the banana. And now he's meeting his needs. And so in the midst of this, you say, no, what's going on here? Like, here's the thing. Where's faith? Can Donnie's work save him? No, why? 
Because Donnie's work is still based in his understanding. Like, I'm going to give out of my resources to this kid. I'm going to give out of what I have to this kid. And you know what? Maybe people will see me and clap. And say, man, good job. You're a great guy. You did a good thing. Man, you're such a nice guy. Right? But in the end of the day, who is the only person who can be glorified by this work? Donnie. Can, can, can he praise God? Well, maybe. But ultimately, he's looking to Donnie because Donnie's not saying, like, I give this out of my, my good to you. Like, I, I'm giving out of my, my wealth. I'm giving out of the things I do. And so this work doesn't save him. God looks at this and says, this is dirty because I don't get any glory out of this. You get the glory, maybe, but I get nothing out of this. This can't save you. Now, take back the turkey and the banana. Don't worry, you'll be all right. Reset. Stephanie, now you come on over here. So here's how the third guy works out. So, so here's the thing. And Stephanie, I just want you to kind of follow with him the entire process through this, right? So Donnie wakes up in the morning. And Donnie recognizes that he's dependent upon Jesus. Like how many of you recognize that in the morning? Like you wake up and you're like, I need mercy and I need grace. And so you go to the word of God, Donnie, and you open up the Bible and you begin to read out of the word of God and you begin to entrust. You're going to the Lord. You're asking the Lord to sustain you, to keep you. And your mind is now like, I, I need to live my life as a trusting believer in Jesus and in his works. And so he goes about his day and man, faith is right there next to him. Like it's right there leading him. It's guiding his decisions. It's guiding the way he talks and thinks. And now Donnie sees this needy person. And in the midst of seeing this nerdy, nerdy person, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am never living that down. <laughs> I am so bad. Okay, that was a complete mistake. All right. And when he sees this needy person, so bad. All right, so when he's, you're never going to forget this either, so this is why this is good. All right, so when you see this needy person, what, what Donnie might say is like, man, I see, I see in myself this person. Like, I, I see my need. As I look at his needs, I see my needs. And I recognize that Jesus, out of his abundance, he sacrificed and he gave out of his glory and his righteousness. He gave me what I didn't have, what I couldn't have. And so now as Donnie begins to take steps towards this needy person, faith is right there. Right? And as Donnie now looks and has the opportunity, do I give of my resources to this needy person? The question comes, what about Donnie's, what about his needs? Like who's going to cover his needs? Who's going to meet his needs? Who's going who's to fill up his plate with turkey and bananas? And faith says, man, God's always had you. Like faith, God, God promises to never leave you or forsake you. And so no, Donnie, in his faith, right there alongside of his faith, like he's, he's doing the work, he's doing the thing. He gets to now say, like, I'm gonna pray for you. Like out of the need that, that I was given, out of my need that God met, I'm able to meet your need. And this is because of Jesus. And I'm just doing for you what Jesus did for me. And now Jesus gets to be glorified. And so now this work is now completed in that Jesus is glorified. And now as Donnie goes away, and now he has to trust the Lord to meet his needs, and the Lord proves himself to be faithful, you guys can go, by the way. Thank you very much. Give them a hand. So, so the, the faith is completed because God shows himself faithful in Donnie's life to 
provide those needs. Do you see what, what, why it matters? Faith is alongside the work. It's right there in the midst of the work. It's driving the work. It's breathing life into the work. And this isn't just about meeting needs of people. This isn't just about that. This is everything. Right? So, so if you're a husband and you hear the Lord say, love your wife as Christ loved the church, but you're the person that says, I believe, but works don't matter. It doesn't really make any difference. Then you can, you can be the person who reads the Bible every day, but you are a jerk to your wife. You don't love her well. You put yourself in front of her. And, and, and at the end of the day, like, is your faith, does it mean anything? Like, like Jesus would say, no, that's dead faith. Like, you, you're, you're asking me to love you this way, but you refuse to give it to someone else? Like, that's, that's dead. And you can be someone who doesn't know Jesus at all, and you can treat your wife with amazing gifts and shower things upon them. But, but God would say, like, no, like, that's, that's not saving either. But if you wake up in the morning as a husband and you say, man, like, God loved me with a self-sacrificing, self-giving kind of love. He laid himself down for me, and he's given me everything, and I am dependent upon that. Now, when you go to love your wife as Christ loved the church, your faith, your dependence, your trust is all based upon that. Your work is proceeding from your faith in Jesus to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You can be a person who says, listen, I have faith, great, you know, uh, I have grace, I have mercy because I believe in these things. But listen, I don't need to give anything to the church. The church doesn't need my money. That doesn't matter. Uh, we don't have to obey the law anymore. On the flip side, you might be someone who says, hey, I don't believe in Jesus at all, but I need a good tax deduction. And so I'm going to give uh, $100,000 to the church. And that has happened before. But I'm not a believer at all. But I'm just going to do something because I need a tax deduction and I want to feel good about myself and I, maybe this will make God happy if there is a God. That doesn't do anything. But if you're someone who says, like, I know God has blessed me. I know God has given to me and I, I'm going to trust him with my needs first and foremost and so I'm going to give to the church. I'm going to be about his kingdom first. Do you see what's going on in this text? The goal here, this text isn't, it isn't about works at all. It's about faith. It's about whether or not you're going to put your faith in Jesus every single day, every moment of the day. This is reminding us and encouraging us. It forces us to examine our hearts. Which person are we? I can't answer that for you. But I can press you to consider the root of your actions. Where do your actions proceed from? What drives you in the decisions that you make? Is it faith or is it something else? Is it an undying, complete trust in Jesus for everything he says and does and leads us down? Or is it simply something else? See, if you have and you say you have faith, but your faith remains unemployed in the things that you do, you need to consider Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 7. On that day, and this is the day of judgment, many, that word is scary. Not some, not a few. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and many mighty works in your name? 
And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Listen, here's the point. I can preach in a lawless way. If my preaching doesn't come from faith, that's actually sin. I can sing to God in a lawless way. I can read the Bible in a lawless way. And that's, that should scare us. Like, we need to be reminded of what faith really is. A deed can be done from multiple different motives. But listen, brothers and sisters, God sees the heart. He sees your heart. He sees my heart. Question is, what does he see? Does he see a heart of faith? Or does he see a heart trying to earn salvation? Does he see a heart that, that wants to accept the, the mercy and grace of God, but not the lordship of God? Like, what does he see? No one else may ever see it. No one else may ever know. Because person number two, person number one, they can look really religious. They can look really Christian. Nobody may ever know. But brothers and sisters, God knows. He, he sees. It's all exposed to him. It's all, we're all lying naked before him in a sense. So I want to close with a call. Believers in the room, do we need to repent of workless faith? Do we need to repent of unemployed faith? Do you have faith sitting at home on the couch? Listen, if you, if you, only come to church on Sunday, and that is where your faith is centered, and that is most of what faith consists of you, it may be that your faith is sitting at home on the couch. Because it's supposed to be something we live in, walk in, breathe in, and you say, man, that feels so hard. It feels like it's so complex. How am I supposed to think every action comes from faith? It is hard, but by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God in us, we can grow in it day after day after day. Amen? And when we fail, the mercy of God is there and the grace of God is there because we're not trying to earn His favor anyway. We already have it. But the question is, do you need to repent of unemployed faith? Useless faith. If so, I would encourage you to come to Jesus and find life. Put your religion to death and put your faith to action. Put your religion to death and put your faith to action and find that your faith is actually completed. It's deepened because of those works. Maybe you're here, you're a Christian, and, and you, you believed in Jesus and you've trusted in Jesus, but you find yourself struggling at times to be dependent upon your own works. Like, man, I need to continue to stay in his good graces, and I need to continue to earn favor with him, and I need to continue to, to make him happy with me. You know what? This should remind you every time you open up the word of God to try to keep him happy with you, that is not a work of faith. It's not. But if you open up the word of God saying, I am a sinner and I'm dependent upon his grace and mercy, which he freely gives through the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm coming to his word to be with him, he smiles on that. And I know for myself, this is the biggest one for me. I can easily find myself in a place where I'm trying to constantly earn God's favor. Like when I fail, I'm like, okay, God, I'll, I'll work better and I'll do more. 
I'll make you happy with me. I'm sorry I messed up. Like I'll, 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 I'll give away a little bit more or I'll spend a little bit more time in this and I have to like repent of that because, because it's, not, it's not a faith-born act. It's an act out of fear that he's gonna leave me. Fear that he's gonna forsake me. Fear that my sin is going to surpass his grace. He says, don't do that. You can never surpass my grace. My blood is always sufficient. And so maybe you need to repent of that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just a non-believer and you say, I, I just, I think I'm okay with God because I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Listen, if Paul, who was one of the most righteous men who didn't know Jesus, was still condemned because of his sin, you have no chance. And I would just encourage you that if you're in this space, if you are relying upon your effort and your works to make yourselves right with God, you're going to stand before him one day and find that they are all filthy. That they're all dirty and he's going to say away from me i never knew you and he's not going to say it out of spite he's going to say it with a heart that says man like i gave you my son i gave you the opportunity to in faith give me all of yourself and you chose not to do it like he has that door open for you this morning and so i want to encourage you to maybe even as we sing this song to 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 lay that before him to confess him to to cry out to him in true faith and find salvation. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing a song and then after the end of that song, we're gonna do communion. I just ask, please stay in the room. I mean, I know if you've got a class you need to get to, if you're a leader, you need to, but for the rest of us, let's just stay in the room because I wanna take communion after this, but I wanna just invite you to respond. Uh, if you wanna come and pray or talk with somebody, um, we're gonna have prayer counselors, elders up at the front during this song, um, but would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray and then let's just um, sing to the Lord. Father, this is, a, this is a challenging text. This is a challenging reality for us and because it's hard to walk in faith minute by minute. I, it just is. This is a distracting world. It's a busy world. We have busy lives. We have all kinds of craziness and most things we can do what feels like on our own. And so to walk in step with you every day by your spirit in faith, that's hard to do. And, and so Lord, I pray first and foremost that as we are faithful to confess our weaknesses and our failures, Lord, you would give us an assurance that your grace is sufficient. But I also pray, Lord, that you would give us zeal to step into that, to try, to strive towards this, to grow in this that our faith might be completed, that, that it would be their right side alongside of us every single day as we walk about our lives. And I pray for those, Lord, this morning that they don't have faith, that they, they're relying on any number of other things to satisfy their souls, to be made right with a God that they may barely believe in. Help them to open their eyes to see the grace and the mercy that you give by your son by his blood, by his death, by his resurrection. Help them to be bold. Help anybody who feels they need prayer, anybody who's being spoken to by the Spirit to feel bold to come up and, and get prayer. I pray and ask these things in your name.